0: Before I get to our New Testament passage, I want to spend a little more time with this Old Testament passage that we just heard. In this scripture and from the music sung, we have heard a meditation on the dwelling place of the Lord, on the places where God is made known in this world. Our King's passage shares the dedication of the temple by King Solomon. This moment, this dedication and building of the temple is one of the pivotal moments in Jewish history alongside the exodus and the exile. After decades of planning, after generations of longing, these ancient people finally have built a majestic, holy, mighty place that befits the Lord of heaven and earth. A place that will share God's glory with the world. Since these ancient Israelite people were brought out of Egypt, slaves turned refugees turned tribal families turned kingdom dwellers, these people have had a special relationship with God and they have longed to claim it in stone and might. God chose these ancient people not because they were better than others, not because of their own abilities or intentions. God chose these people because God was trying to show who God is most fully and deeply in these ancient Hebrew people. God was trying to show, and it still is trying to show, how God desires to be in intimate communion, in covenant relationship with human beings. This God of Abraham and Isaac is not a general deity of vaguely immense proportions. This God comes alive in particular lives, in the hearts and the minds and the actions of specific communities. The temple that Solomon dedicates is built as the holiest of holy places, not because the people or space are more deserving than others, but because this is how God chooses to be revealed in particular times and places, in concrete ways, here, right now, in the world. Solomon dedicates the temple not to proclaim we own God, but instead to proclaim we are known by this God, and this God seeks to be known by us here in this world. Solomon is saying we rejoice and pray, dedicate and delight in this temple as a unique dwelling place of the Lord of heaven and earth, and yet this passage also makes clear that the Lord's presence still remains in some way veiled, as if by a cloud. The Lord is making God's self known, but also doing things we still cannot fully see and understand. God is working beyond the limits of this holy time and place and doing things even in the hearts and minds of those who are not of the chosen people of Israel. God is doing a new thing, and one day through these ancient people, the whole world will be involved in God's plan, in God's kingdom. This brings us to our Ephesians passage today. Throughout the book of Ephesians, the writer has been trying to sum up the work of Paul to remind communities of faith what it is they are called to be. And now we receive some concrete images of what that might look like. God is still speaking. Let us listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how you chose to get dressed this morning, I wonder if you put some thought into it, if you grab the first clean, unwrinkled thing you could find. I wonder how you prepare to face the world each week. I wonder if you choose a mantra, set an intention, take a deep breath, or simply block and forbid all human interaction until you've had your first cup of coffee or shower. I wonder if you are able to take time to get yourself centered and prepared, or if perhaps you, like so many of us, are pulled out of bed by other people's needs, by your phone's notifications, and you just put one foot in front of the other until the day is done. I wonder if some days you feel more ready to take on life than you do on other days. I know that I do. There is a classic church joke. You've probably heard it. You can flip the gender roles around as it suits you. But here it is. A wife comes into her husband's room and says, Honey, we have to get ready for church. From the bed, the husband groans. Ugh, I do not want to go to church. The wife persists. Come on, we have to go. Give me three good reasons the husband demands. The wife sighs. Well, number one this is a commitment we made as a family years ago, not a choice that we make every week. Two, this is something that connects us with other people in a meaningful way. And three, you have been the pastor of this church for 10 years and it's time to go lead worship and get out of bed. (laughs) Perhaps you too relate to this feeling. I know I do sometimes, so. Sometimes it is hard to get ready to face the day. It is hard to get ready to face the world. Sometimes it is hard to figure out what exactly we are getting ready for. Are we dressing to impress others or to just stay comfortable? Are we preparing to assert our authority today? Are we trying to be as friendly and charming and accessible as possible? Are we dressing to lie low or to stand out? To lead seminars or to sit in front of a computer or to chase a toddler all require a different set of tools and resources, a different outfit. Whether we plan it all out the night before or dash around the morning of, we all have some ritual, some routine, some way we prepare ourselves, some way we adorn ourselves in order to tackle whatever is coming our way. This is the time of year when many people from, school, uh, from students to teachers to administrators are preparing to go back to school. This is a season where outfits are chosen and pictures are taken, where we try to wipe cheeks and noses and photograph how young ones troop down the sidewalk, alternately swaggering and staggering under what looks like way too big of a backpack. And even if You are not someone helping someone go physically back to school. Perhaps you, too, are someone who feels the cooler air on their skin or hears a school bell in the air and starts to think about locker codes and number two pencils. We can probably all remember the nervousness that accompanied those first days, first weeks of school. And perhaps if you really think about it, you can remember too some beloved lucky outfit you had, particularly in your adolescent years. Something that you believed would ward off all your worries. Some outfit that would make you feel both cool and fashionable, but also hidden and protected. Some outfit that would make you feel worthy of attention and yet also safely tucked away in a crowd. Indeed, it is the paradox and struggle of adolescence to want to stand out and lie low at the same time. So I wonder, how do you get dressed and ready to take on the day? No matter how old we are, no matter what season of life we are in, taking on the world, taking on the day is not a simple task. The writer of Ephesians knows this. Taking on the world is no easy thing, and this writer knows that we all put a little work into figuring out how to get ready. This Ephesians 6 passage has a lot of strong images in it, and so first we must admit that these militaristic images about the armor of God have been used and misused by Christians across the years. They've been used in order to justify military aggression under the banner of Christ. They've been used to justify personal enmity under flags of self-righteousness. So we hear words like swords and helmets and breastplates and belts, and we might recoil because we've seen what happens when people go into battle in the name of Christ. Across the centuries, we have seen this sort of violence that the Christian terrorism can wreak from Constantine, to the Crusades, to Charlottesville last summer. So we might want to cut this passage out of the Bible to avoid its whole host of images and language, but here it is. And instead of avoiding it, we are called to examine it together again. And I wonder if we can find something for our life, our days, here and now. The writer of Ephesians, attributed to Paul, is using images from Roman military. As many scholars point out, the garb of a Roman soldier would be a very familiar image to those who live around the Mediterranean at the time of the Roman Empire. These civilians and citizens are under occupation. They see soldiers in the street every day. And even if these soldiers are a familiar sight... Even if they're friendly and familiar in the moment, the civilians must make no mistake. These Roman soldiers are armed and prepared for battle. Indeed, we can hear in this text that key leaders of the Christian movement, like Paul himself, have already been dragged away and put in chains, thrown into prison by those wearing these belts and helmets and shoes. So as we hear this passage describe putting on the armor of God, it is important to remember, Paul is not writing to people who are accustomed to wearing such a uniform. He is writing to people who are accustomed to being harassed by such a uniform. Paul is not writing for people who wield the power of a military outfit. He is writing to people who feel powerless, who are put into chains, by these out, those in these outfits. The people hearing this letter get up every morning and face a world where soldiers are in the street and where being a Christian is at best a reason to be mocked and at worst a reason to be arrested. Sometimes it is hard to get out of bed and this passage in Ephesians is trying to give the people some strategies for making it through the day. And so Paul does a clever thing. He takes images that have made early Christians feel powerless and he reclaims them. He reinterprets them. He uses the power of imagination to describe how God is doing something bigger than what is scary and intimidating right now. He says, you see belts and breastplates as something to fear. I tell you, there's something to give you strength. You see shields and shoes as something to spread war. I tell you, they are something that can quench fire and spread peace. Listeners are reminded that they too have resources on their side. Resources that are not of their own making. Strategies that don't depend on their own abilities or their own power. Listeners, those who are hearing this text read out loud in their congregation's are being reminded that they have a way to get ready for the day, to get prepared for the life and the struggles it might bring. And these preparations do not come from Rome. They do not come from the military. These preparations come from the Spirit of God herself. So instead of a belt to hold up a uniform, they are told to put on a belt that will hold up their truth. Instead of a breastplate of steel, they are told to adorn a breastplate of righteousness, which also can be translated as a a justice. Righteousness and justice often are a similar word. Instead of shoes for battle, they are told to slip their feet into whatever will make them ready to promote a gospel of peace. Instead of a shield that will run through riots, they are told to use shields that will quench and douse the flames of evil. Instead of picking up a helmet and a sword that glint in the sun with intimidating power, they are told to pick up a helmet and sword of spirit, of words, of something that will empower them to spread the news of God's salvific mercy and sacrificial grace. And finally, instead of battle-tested tactics of aggression and deception, they are told to pray. To pray, 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 pray. In the words of Jesus, they are told to pray not just for themselves, but for others, not just for citizens, but for foreigners, not just for friends at their side, but enemies across the way. The armor of God is not for poking and prodding and harassing other human beings. Instead, this armor gives us resources to join in the larger work of God, to join in the work that God is doing across a vast landscape how God is wrestling with powers and principalities that threaten our communities and our world. We are not being told to follow Christ and adorn this outfit and start to attack other flesh-and-blood humans. We are told to follow Christ, adorn this outfit, and struggle against sinful, painful forces like racism and misogyny, homophobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, forces of greed and deceit, addiction and abuse, poverty and pollution. This Ephesians passage is telling us we should get ready. We should get dressed. We should be prepared for the day, not because we need to impress someone, not because we need to assert our authority over someone, not because we need to prove something about ourselves. We should get ready for the day Because God, the Lord of heaven and earth, is asking for us. We might feel weak and pained, crippled, stupid, inadequate. Yet God still wants to use us. We might not want to get out of bed in the morning. And indeed, we might not be able to get out of bed in the morning. Yet still, we are being dressed for the day by God. Christ lays out the garments for us. The spirit drapes around us with a holy presence. God has a plan for us. Even at our weakest and our most timid, perhaps somehow we can still believe that we are being prepared for the day because God is the one who prepares us. No matter what our ability or gifts or energies or intellect, God wants us to join in the work of challenging the painful forces and the things that threaten us in our neighborhood, our city, our nation, our world, the things that threaten the vision and hope and grace of God. It isn't easy to get ready for the day. It isn't easy to prepare for the world and what it might hurl at us, particularly as people of faith. It isn't easy to follow the words of Christ, to pray for our enemies or turn the other cheek to invite foreigners into the community or break bread with strangers, to reach out to children or forgive endlessly or tear down dividing walls or work for the restoration of the kingdom of God, none of this is easy. And so we can spend all the time we want staring at our closets, figuring out what will make us feel worthy, ready, and impressive enough for the day. But the truth is, We have already been given all that we need. We do not do this on our own. We do not do this apart from our God. We do not do this apart from a community who is praying with us. We do not get dressed and ready for the day without a whole fierce cloud of witnesses surrounding and outfitting us. We've already been given all we need to join in the work of the Holy Spirit. We've already been given all we need to share the love of Christ with others. We've already been given all we need to push back against the darkness and embody the light of our Creator. We've already been given all we need to shout from the rooftops that God is here and now and doing a new thing in our midst, among citizens and foreigners, among friends and strangers. We've been given all we need to try to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. The temple of God was built to share God's immense glory and also God's close relationship with particular people in this world. Our lives are lived as a space to embody God's great hopes and God's particular actions in our own lives in the life of the world. Friends, we have our clothes all laid out for us. Together we have what we need to get through the day. So it is time to get dressed and to go forth to work in the world together. Let us pray. Spirit, open our hearts to the new thing you are doing with us and through us. We commit once again to see with your eyes, to feel with your heart, to embody your hands and feet, and most importantly of all, to be dressed by your abiding grace, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, today and each day. In Christ's name, amen.